You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. Evening and welcome to another edition of the Bo's Nose Show coming to you from beautiful downtown Eugene, Oregon, as I'm in my office this afternoon, getting ready to go to a meeting tonight at the University of Oregon uh, EMU the student union over there uh, called Better Housing Together. And it's going to be a, a big conflab of, of a whole bunch of people talking about how we can approve uh, affordable housing and housing choices and and uh, help some of the homeless folks and all the other aspects of housing here in Lane County. And it should be a, an interesting meeting tonight over there. But it starts at 5 o'clock, which is why I'm coming to you at 3.30 at a special early time today so I can get from the Bose Nose Show over to uh, the University of Oregon for that meeting. But I am your host for the Bose Nose Show, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner. And we'll be talking about housing a lot today because that's kind of what's on my mind with the, with the uh, event coming up tonight. But you can call in and talk to me about whatever's on your mind, housing or whatever. Uh, maybe some of the bad weather forecasting that's gone on in the last couple of days here in, in the Willamette Valley. I would hate to be a weather forecaster here. Because it doesn't, one degree of difference can make a huge difference in the forecast. But you can call us at 646 721 9887. Just press one, and that lets uh, Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646 721 9887. Just press one. So we have this Better Housing Together meeting coming up tonight uh, at the University of Oregon. And it's being put together by a bunch of different folks from the realtors and the home builders to some of the uh, homeless advocates. So it's a real cross section of the community that's putting this event together. So it'd be really interesting to see what people come up with. But I'd be interested in getting your input on your ideas of to make housing more affordable in Lane County or how we could increase the supply of housing. Uh, so give me a call here, 646-721-9887. And uh, tell me what you would like to see happen to make housing more affordable here in Lane County. And I might be able to take some of those ideas with me to the meeting this evening. So everybody knows we're having kind of this little housing crunch um, in Oregon and really across the nation. And, and, and everybody knows that there's this homeless crisis going on that's somewhat driven by the cost of housing also being driven by everything from the opioid crisis to uh, how we're dealing with mental health in the U.S. today. So a whole bunch of things coming into play here. But I think one of the biggest things that's coming into play is just the natural drivers of a free market economy, although we don't have a completely free market economy in the U.S. It is regulated to a certain extent and also controlled by the government, particularly when it comes to housing. Really what is at issue here is there is a demand for housing that's growing, and particularly in Oregon, because we're actually a uh, in-migration state where we actually have more people moving into the state than moving out, in addition to just the natural growth of population. And we're actually have a, have a, a, a increasing and growing demand for housing in the state and in particular in the portland metro area in the uh, salem area and eugene springfield ashland uh, jacksonville down that area there are just some areas of the state where it's really magnified and it's also magnified even in some areas you wouldn't think about that, that aren't necessarily growing leaps and bounds in population 
but the competition for housing with vacation rentals is actually the issue in some of those areas like Florence and Yahats and Waldport and some of the areas on the coast that are really having trouble with housing affordability because not only is there a lack of new housing coming on the market, but what housing is there is starting to get into everything from Airbnb rentals to just they were vacation rentals to start with to their snowbirder homes, they're just not available in, in to folks that are trying to find uh, new housing here in, in Lane County or in Oregon in general. So we have this growing demand for housing. But on the other end, and this is where it's not quite a free market, we've got this lack of new supply coming on. And part of that reason for the lack of new supply is our state land use laws that limit the amount of available land for residential development. And particularly when you talk about apartments and rentals, uh, multifamily development, the various um, system development charges, permit fees, everything else that goes into that, that the cost of the ground that you might want to build housing on. And then in addition to that, you know, because there is a bit of a, of a, construction boom because there is such a demand and what housing it is being built using up a lot of the available construction workforce uh, the costs are also being driven up for housing so all this you know heavy demand limited supply is having the natural reaction you know has the relationship between supply demand and price if the demand exceeds supply, prices will go until it limits the demand to be equal with the supply. If supply exceeds demand, prices will fall until demand rises up to meet the supply to a certain extent. You know, that's that's sort of the the, the basic economics 101 explanation of that it's much more complex there are things that are inelastic and elastic pricing and we, we can get into that some other day but that's the basic premise here so we have this growing demand and it's not going down it's actually going up and a restricted supply in in oregon and particularly you know here in lane county and that's driving the price of rentals up it's driving the price of new housing up and it's, it's really causing this crisis to where folks can't find housing they can afford. And in particularly, if you're in that vulnerable place where being paycheck to paycheck on the low end of the economic uh, ladder, that could really have a huge impact. If your landlord or tenant says, by the way, your rent's gonna go up another 10% or 20%, that may be just the straw that breaks the camel's back on top of your electric rates going up, your gas, uh, gasoline costs going up, your insurance costs going up, your food costs going up, you know, that, that additional rent or something like it just might be what tips the balance to where you're stable in your household. And really in this county, there's a huge amount of renters out there that are what we call housing burden, where they're spending more than 30% of their income on housing. In fact, there is a large proportion they're spending 50% of their household income on housing in, in rentals here in Lane County. And that's really, when you think about that, it's really what might be driving some of the whole issue of homelessness. You know, those folks that are on the edge and end up in that position where they lose their housing, then to try and get back into housing is even more difficult because at that point, if you lost housing because you couldn't afford your rent or something like that or had to move out, then you're talking about getting back in with things like first and last month deposits, security deposits, whatever else, and it gets even harder to find a place to rent. And then you end up with folks that are, you know, couch surfing, living in, in, in um, hotel rooms and, and doing all sorts of things that even in their cars, they might ha still have a job, might be, you know, reasonably, uh, constructive members of our society that aren't criminals and all that stuff, but just this whole issue of supply and demand and price has pushed them to a limit where they are on that, what would be considered homeless, where they 
have a stable housing situation. Tonight we're going to get together, you know, this group of of folks of interested parties that are coming from all. Going to be people there from the realtors, from the home builders. There's going to be people there from all the services that provide emergency housing, some of that provide affordable housing. We're all going to talk about what can we do to, to kind of help solve this issue. It seems like one of the most basic, simplest things we can do is remove the barriers to increasing housing supply. No matter where the, the housing gets built, more of it's put on the market and, and gets out there, it's going to drive price down. And that that's probably the simplest, easiest, and, and, and like most simple answers, not as easy as just saying, okay, we're going to remove barriers for housing, get people to build more housing. Not quite so easy because we've got this whole thing called state land use planning that goes on where we have urban growth boundaries that have to be expanded through multi-year processes. In fact, the city of Eugene just adopted their new urban growth boundary that did not have any expansion for residential lands. And that process took them over seven years to get to that. So trying to get a new expansion for residential isn't going to happen tomorrow. But there are some other things we can do. We, we, we can change some of the zoning laws to maybe make it easier to build more density or make it easier to build accessory dwelling units uh, and add, add housing stock in that way. Um, we can look at some of the smaller cities that might be have the ability to grow and, and change urban growth boundary in a maybe a little bit more agile and faster manner than the city of Eugene uh, do. So there, there's some ways we can chip at the edges of that. The other thing is, is we shouldn't do anything that harms housing supply. And that brings me to this article that was recently um, printed just uh, a couple of days ago in the Oregon. So you can probably still find it on their website, but it says apartment construction is drying up. Is affordable housing measure to blame? And what it talks about is there was this, as, as rents were increasing in Portland, there was quite a boom in, in apartment complex construction that was going on there. And then ultimately, that apartment construction is drying up. And in the last year, since they passed something called an inclusionary zoning policy, they have seen almost no permitting for apartment complexes in the Portland city city of Portland compared to years before. I mean, they're, they're getting years where they're putting on thousands of new units. And then suddenly this year, they're down to, you know, basically a couple hundred that have been permitted. And they passed something about a year or so ago that required um, folks that were developing apartment complexes to set aside a certain number of units as affordable housing units inside that complex. Well, at the same time that they passed that, which would, would drive the cost to the developer, because if you're going to have to rent some of your units at a below market rental rate, which is basically what that inclusionary zoning require, requires, that is going to reduce your ability to show that your investment is going to pay off in the income you're going to gain from those apartments and get back your investment a reasonable amount of time and make a profit. At the same time, in the background, there are all sorts of things that have actually gone up for developers at the same time. And, this, and what they believe is between the increasing cost of things like permits, SDCs and construction costs, adding on this requirement to have these affordable units basically kicked all these projects that were, were starting to be put on the books and developers were looking at into the point where they, they're not showing as profitable, so they're just being kind of killed on the drawing board and therefore you're not seeing the permits being submitted for them. And that's why they've seen this huge drop off in apartment construction in the last year in the Portland area. And just to give you an idea, 
they were constructing units a couple years ago at about $156 per square foot. That's the construction materials and labor. Now it would be about $220 a square foot. You know, so you're looking at uh, permit fees that a few years ago were about $15,400 per unit. That's, you know, including some of the SDCs and all that. And now it's about $22,000 per unit. So that's the kind of things that have really changed. And then even in the background, there's the market value of land, which is getting harder and harder to find available land. So a few years back in 2012, what was $700,000 is now valued at $1.2 million for a site that the department could go on. So that gives you an idea of just pressure that's coming on these apartment complex builders just on the cost side of things. And then you add on this issue of the government trying to resolve an affordable housing issue with getting involved in the free market by mandating a certain number of percentage of units be set aside and rented at, at below market rates. It was the tipping point, apparently, for a lot of projects between the rising cost and that that new law. And they're seeing in Portland an example of what happened as, as you get involved in that. And what was interesting is along with this article was a graph of the average rent um, prices for certain, um, I think it was a two bedroom, two bath unit or something like that in the Portland area. And you could see it rising steadily from 2012 up through the 17, and it actually has started to fall and leveled off in 2018. And part of that is those all those apartments that were being built in the last few years before that law got passed are starting to have an impact on the supply side and and starting to stabilize prices in the Portland area. But now that they're the, that construction's drying up while demand's still growing in the Portland area, that leveling off the prices of rent actually changed. And the cause of it may be this new ordinance that the city put in place that's requiring these affordable housing units. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next couple of years in Portland, but it's just an example of maybe turning the wrong dial when it came to trying to resolve this problem of affordable housing. So you're listening to the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, Jay Bose, County Commissioner. And we're talking a little bit about housing because I'm going to be attending the Better Housing Together event tonight at the University of Oregon. And I'd be interested in your ideas on housing. How, what dials would you turn to, to increase housing supply or to make housing more affordable or have more diversity in housing? Is it all about maybe working out codes that will allow for these uh, micro homes or these these you know small small houses uh, you know that they you see that are literally uh, a thousand square feet or smaller that can be wheeled in on a trailer basically is that where we need to go is it something about you know requiring affordable housing like portland did although I, you know you can see what the result of that was in this Oregonian article what do you think? Give me a call here, 646-721-9887. Just press one. Let's Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one. And you know, even if you don't have something about housing, if there was something else you wanted to talk to me about here in Lane County or Oregon or just national politics, we can talk about that because uh, yeah, that's what this show is for. I, I really do this show because it makes me available to the public so you can call in and talk to me. It also gives me an opportunity to tell you news and about go a little bit more in depth than the uh, 22nd story on KEZI. Like last night, they had a really nice story about our frequent user system engagement uh, pilot program we took, um, took on last year, better known as FUSE. And it, and it was a very brief story about how we are actually saving taxpayers money by providing some emergency 
services and housing to some of these people, the 100 worst mm -hmm. users of our, our um, house system and also emergency services, uh, criminal justice system, uh, all those things that you know cost the taxpayers money. And if we can actually, you know, we identified these these top 100 users basically, and started going out and trying to find them because, of course, most of these users are chronically homeless people, so it's not all that easy to find them. But the ones we did find connected with some intense case management and provided them some temporary housing, then got them into more permanent housing. We spent an average about $14,000 in a year for that person. But we calculated that those people were costing us over $35,000 a year in other services, whether it was in the emergency room, whether it was in uh, emergency uh, mental health care, like at, at, at uh, the Johnson, what used to be called the Johnson unit there at Peace Health, or whether it was uh, just having EMS people consistently respond to them, whether it was police, sheriff's department, fire department, Cahoots, whatever you know, these folks kept having to get response, and every one of those call outs is you know, roughly a thousand bucks worth of, of time. How many of these folks end up intaked into our jail for various you know, crimes that usually really aren't crimes, it's behavioral issues related to either whatever mental health issue they have or for being uh, homeless and having issues that, that you get arrested for for being homeless, trespass. Uh, all the various things that happen, you know, uh, that you do in public, you shouldn't do when you're homeless. Uh, but that cost of all those things, the jail, the, the police, fire department, the emergency room, the human services and all that, that they interact with, that was adding up to like over $35,000 a year for some of these, these folks that we identified as our top 100 users of the system. And, it cost us 14,000 a person to try and stabilize those folks. But you can see we were saving at least $20,000 or more. And we think we can actually get that 14,000 down close, closer to 10 or less to deal with these folks. But it's all, it's all about the combination of getting them into some stable housing and then connecting them with intensive case management. That's dealing with why are you homeless? Why are you a frequent user of our system? Let's deal with those issues. You have an untreated mental health issue that needs to be stabilized. Uh, do you have an addiction issue? You need, you need a residential treatment program and deal with that. What are the various issues that are driving that, that, that use of the system? Get those folks stabilized. You know, they, to deal with that, they kind of need to have a roof over their head. All those things that we did, turns out we can save the taxpayers $20,000 right off the top with this program. And it's kind of that 80-20 rule. I don't, I forget, um, there's, there's a name for it. I forget whose rule it is, but basically it seems like you spend 80% uh, of your resources on 20% of the population. <laughs> and it's, in this case, it's even worse because we're really talking about a very small fragment of our population that uses up a huge amount of resource. <laughs> 100 people using $35,000 a year. Do the math real quick. That comes out to about three and a half million dollars a year, depending on 100 people. <laughs> yeah, I think we can save that money. And ultimately, if we get them stabilized, we'll stop spending money on them and they'll actually start paying taxes again. And that's really what this is all about is what's, what, how do we end that? That's just one way of dealing with um, this whole issue of homelessness that has nothing to do with building new housing, housing supply. That's about how do we interact with that population and what's the correct way of dealing with them. And it's really about case management with that population and trying to, to deal with underlying issues. But it is about looking at who is actually utilizing most resources from our system. And let's try and deal with some of those folks. And those folks change over time. You know, if we, we get, 20 or 30 of those top 100 dealt with, there'll be a new 20 or 30 next year that'll be in that top 100. But hopefully what we'll do is eventually get enough of those people dealt with 
that the top 100, instead of using 35,000 a year, might only be using 20,000 a year. You know, as we start working our way down that list of the next 20 or 30, the next 50, the next 100 people down that top users of, of public uh, systems that we really don't want them to be accessing. So that's, you know, an interesting little program. That was a maybe 20 or 30 second story on KEZI last night. And there you have a much more in-depth look at what is the frequent user system engagement system in Lane County that we piloted. We're actually extending it. In yeah. fact, uh, Trillium, the coordinated care organization in Lane County is going to invest in it because they see it as saving them in the long run. Because most of these people are uninsured or under the Oregon Health Plan. It's the coordinated care organization that's paying for emergency room care for these folks rather than other care because you know some of these folks that are chronically homeless they're not dealing with underlying issues like type 2 diabetes and other things and then they end up in the emergency room with you know an infected foot due to the circulation issues from diabetes and getting a, an emergency amputation of a toe or something like that that's a hell of a lot more costly than if we get them off the street, stabilized, and teach them to, to manage their diabetes and, and are dealing with the diabetes by going to a regular doctor's appointment rather than an emergency room appointment, a whole lot less costly. So you can understand why Trillium is interested in our free system engagement program and how it's a good investment on their part to give us uh, the resources to keep it going for another year and expanding it to a certain That's a couple ends of the spectrum there. We can talk about how we can increase uh, residential land supply and, 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 and try and help new housing to be built. We can also talk about the other end. What do we do with those folks that are already homeless and how do we, how do we help them out? So uh, lots to talk about when it comes to housing. It is such a broad issue. So it'll be an interesting meeting tonight at the University of Oregon, Better Housing Together event. It is a uh, invitation meeting. They actually have a full room and a waiting list of people to get there. So it will be uh, good to uh, have that that meeting and see where, where things go. But I'm really looking forward to discussing the whole issue of how do we help this issue of housing in Lane County and how can we move forward? You know, what you know, what do you want to see out of Lane County? So it looks like we have somebody on the line there, Robin. Um do we have somebody waiting to get in here? All right. We're just gonna bring him on live. Uh caller, you're on the line with uh Jay Bolzevich. Hey Jay, you're out here in Florence. Uh managed to get your show. Great. So, so what, what, what? So we might as well make this. What's that? Go ahead. Yeah. So we might as well make this uncomfortable. Uh, here's an uncomfortable consideration. So what is the uh, the illegal populations? What is that doing to the amount of uh, housing that's available? I mean, I'm just going to throw it out there. I mean, suppose that only 2% of the people that came decided to vacation in the United States decided to stay, you know, can we beyond our own natural birth rate of citizens, can we also accommodate for all those that decide to stay here unlawfully? Yeah, it is, it is an uncomfortable conversation because that has a lot of emotion around the whole, um, immigration issue, but it is something that is putting pressure on our housing situation. And particularly um, as some of the folks that are that are staying here um, illegally tend to be lower skilled or are not English skilled, so they have to take lower paying jobs. Not, not, it doesn't mean they might not be have a great skill in their in their native language, but they do put a lot of pressure and compete for low income housing quite a bit. So that 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 is a concern. That you know, is that a, is that a factor? And, and you know, would would it be helpful to the housing situation if we were to be a little more 
um, strict on, on some of our immigration policies. Not sure exactly whether it would work out, um, but it, it, is a, it is a consideration and one that, um, you know, although uncomfortable and has a lot of emotion behind it, uh, I, I appreciate you bringing it in, into the conversation because it is a question you know, if we if we didn't have, uh, they estimate it somewhere between 10 and 20 million um, folks in our country that have either overstayed a visa or entered the country illegally, competing for housing. You know, what does that change the the, the housing picture enough to really resolve this? I'm not sure it's a big enough percentage of our population to to completely resolve it, but it would help at least to some degree. Yeah, you know, and uh, living out here on the coast, I really, <clears throat> I really love nature. And think how many more trees we have to cut down to to make all that many more houses, and how much more mining we have to do to get that much more cement out of the ground. Anyway, it's just it's it just um, it's uncomfortable. I thought I'd just bring it up, and I'll just leave it at that. Thank you. Well, thank you for calling. See, we, we can we can jump from from a local housing issue to uh, the the, in, the national issue and even an international issue of immigration here in the Bo's Nose Show just by your participation by calling six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven and just press one that kind of lets uh, Robin my call screener know that you want to get in on the air. Also, I see that on our board too that we've got a call waiting with a question, so a question or comment. So I appreciate that comment because it is kind of an interesting aspect of, uh, and then one of the uncomfortable aspects to start talking about immigration is, you know, what that those folks immigrating uh, place on our our limited resources here. I'm, you know, obviously you look at my last name, Bozovich. I have immigrants in my background that came through Ellis Island shortly before World War one as uh, the Balkans were starting to have some of the issues they were having and uh, my relatives got out while the getting was good uh, and you know ended up coal miners in Utah after, you know that's where they ended up after they went through Ellis Island and uh, Carbon County Utah and eventually my their son and my grandfather uh, way out of the coal mines into college ended up a research medical a cancer researcher actually at the national institutes of health and uh, on from there so you know i've got my own immigration story uh, they did come through a legal form at, at ellis island but in those days there was so much open land and growth and lack of restriction of uh, residential housing building that it, immigration wasn't placing that same burden so in today's day and age, though, where we have artificially restricted housing supply through zoning and land use codes and other um, codes, is immigration something that we should talk about as part of this as part of the solution to our our housing crisis here in the United States? Is it a big enough part? Because when you start talking about uh, a country that has over 300 million, is that to 20 million estimated illegal immigrants that are in the country, is that a big enough percentage to make a difference in the housing market to drive that up or not? So good, good call, uncomfortable topic, but one that actually is, is in play in the background of this whole conversation around housing and housing cost and availability of housing. Uh, so. You know, great well, call. Appreciate it. talking to somebody from Florence as I'm sitting here in Eugene, the wonders of the Internet. Uh, again, if you want to get in on the conversation, talk to me about what you think we should be doing to resolve the housing crisis or anything else that's on your mind. Immigration, uh, we can talk about uh, the weather recently and the inability to predict it. 646-721-9887. Uh, Just press one, get you in on conversa conversation. There were a couple other things I wanted to talk about when it came to housing a little bit. Um, we talked about the Oregonian arg article. We talked about 
I want to mention uh, accessory dwelling units for a minute because there is a bill up in the legislature right now that would actually make it harder for Lane County to approve accessory dwelling units out in rural residential areas. They passed a bill in 2017 that gave us the ability to approve um, accessory dwelling units in rural residential properties, and they've got a bill now to pull back that that um, ability to approve accessory dwelling units. And it's because it you know, the the bill they passed last year doesn't become effective till July 1st of this year, so they've got a chance to pull that back. And it's kind of because they meant to only have it be inside urban growth boundaries, and we're kind of trying to to fight to keep our ability to have accessory dwelling units anywhere because there are a lot of areas of the county that are really far from urban growth boundaries but have unincorporated ones that could really take advantage of this ADU issue. Places like Mapleton or places like um, Pleasant Hill, you know, that are kind of not really close to an urban growth boundary but have enough residential areas where folks could, could bring a uh, a manufactured home or convert a garage to an apartment, whatever it is to, to form an accessory dwelling unit on their property, that's going to add to that housing supply in a relatively easy and low impact manner and, and really could make a difference uh, in, in our overall um, ability to lower prices in the housing market. So really, that's something I just want to make people aware of it. It's uh, a bill that's in the in the House. If you talk to your um, representatives or state senators, just mention that that you want county to be able to keep accessory dwelling units outside of urban growth boundaries. Uh, I think it's House Bill 4034-4034. If you want to ask them about that, uh, as the bill stands now, we really don't want it to pass because it would limit us if it if it if it didn't move forward, it would actually leave us with the ability to, as of July 1st, allow people to build accessory dwelling units out in the rural areas, which would really add to a lot of housing supply. And it also adds flexibility for maybe some of the folks that are aging out in rural areas and getting older, own their homes, but want to stay on the property. They, they you know, maybe built as a young couple in the 50s or 60s. If they could build a small apartment they could maybe move into or move their children into to take care of them. That's really, you know, adds a lot of um, flexibility. Or, or even if they build a small apartment they can rent, that pays the property tax on their property while they're aging in place. That's a whole other issue. So I think accessory dwelling units also help deal with another issue of our aging rural population. So um, really, Something if you get a chance to talk to your state rep or state senator in the next week or so, tell them you really want counties to be able to approve accessory dwelling units outside of urban growth boundaries. Hey Jay, can I jump in for a sec? Sure, Robin. Yeah, speaking of uh, um, accessory housing units, if you're if you convert a garage, say to a an apartment or a room or or build something, you know, like a grandma house, whatever you call it. Wouldn't that be considered a property improvement and also raise your property taxes? It could do that very well because you're actually, you know, you're you're adding something that could be rented. So there is a value you're adding to your property. So it, it could increase your property taxes. Hopefully, whatever rent or value that that unit uh, far exceeds the increase in your property taxes. Which is, you know, one of the things I as I talk to people um, about this whole idea of increasing uh, rents that's going on, I hear people say, oh, it's just a bunch of greedy landlords. And one of the things I, I had a discussion because somebody posted that on, on one of my Facebook posts about the upcoming show and housing was uh, if we could just get rid of greed, it would, it would resolve the situation. It's not about greed so much because what you just mentioned is just one piece of the pie. As a landlord builds apartments or improves them, or if it's if it's you building an accessory dwelling unit uh, in your backyard, that grandma house, uh, that's adding value, which increases property taxes. They have to be able to pay those property taxes. And like most 
folks, there's this almost built-in increase in property taxes every year, 3% under the Measure 5, Measure 47, and 50 uh, caps that were put in place by the, the people. It allows property taxes. Oh, did we lose you? As we're waiting for Jay to come back on, I'm assuming that he's still there. So, again, you're listening to KRBN Internet News Talk Radio. We're live with Jay Bosevich, Lane County Commissioner, and try and... Uh, I believe we believe we lost him. We're going to try to get him back here. So please stand by. Welcome to live radio right here on KRBN. Uh, are we, am I back, Robin? You are back. I don't know what happened. I was just, you suddenly said, are you there? Are you there? <laughs> yeah. Well, like like I say, you know, welcome to live radio. Yep. yep. And welcome to Skype. That's a, you know, you were just talking about Skype dropping calls and I had never had Skype drop a call and that's the first time it's ever dropped me. <laughs> welcome but, to the world you, of technology. Yeah. You jinxed me when we had that conversation the other day. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Back, I don't know where I got cut off. Yeah, just as you're explaining about the measure five and then the three percent, and on actually uh, to top that three percent increase every year, you know, got whatever bond measures passed, like in Springfield recently, the jail bond, which is um, probably going to jump mine by about four hundred bucks a year if I calculated correctly, and so I mean. All that stuff adds up and makes it more and more hard to afford a house, especially as housing prices go up higher, you know, so do they value the homes. And that's one of the things that's driving landlords to increase rent is that underlying cost. They have to keep increasing their rent to be able to still make enough of a profit to pay their property tax bill. Pay for you know the the management company who's paying employees that have to keep their wages up above minimum wage, which is increasing in the background because of a new you know the state law that increased the minimum wage. So there's all sorts of drivers that are pushing the cost up for the for the landlord. So it's not always greed that's driving the increase in rents. One of the things that's interesting is for a long time rents were fairly flat in Lane County from that 2008 recession all the way through about 2012 to almost 2013, they were almost dead flat, even when some of their costs were increasing in the background, just because the demand was low enough at that point, they couldn't raise rent. So some of the rent increases actually pent up demand from when inflation was slowly creeping up. I mean, the background inflation wasn't very high, one to 2%. But it was still there for those landlords, and they had several years where they were unable to raise rents because of the lack of demand. And now, now there is a demand in the system. You're seeing pent up um, background increases, along with the drivers that are going up currently in the background right now, like property taxes, uh, employee costs, everything else that gets into you know how much does it cost to run a rental, you know, right. as a landlord. So I, I I don't I don't automatically think every landlord that, that passes on a rate increase to a tenant is greedy. I think a lot of times it's just about am I still able to make enough of a profit that it makes it worth me in having this this piece of property invested because I've tied up a lot of capital on that property. And then top it off, uh, was it Springfield Utilities went up 5% this year? Yeah, yeah. And, and it depends on whether your utilities are in or out of your rent, whether that's driving rent up. Um, but even if it's not in your rent, those utility increases affect some other things. Like if you're in an apartment building, there's common spaces with lights in them and stuff like that. And, and an office somewhere that has to be heated and and have electricity and all that stuff. So there, it affects other places in, in the landlord's uh, you know, accounting ledger, uh, not just, you know, even if you're paying for your 
and utilities, there's other places, utility increases, cost the landlord. So it, it's there in the rent somewhere. So what's, what is your, uh, what's your ideas? I mean, if you do subsidize housing, well, then of course that means they got to raise taxes or they got to find the money somewhere to subsidize. Yeah. And that's where I kind of, um, stay away from so much looking at subsidies. There's been some proposals to do like a 1% construction excise tax and then use that money to pay for low income housing. And I just, it just doesn't make sense to me to tax something that you want to make more affordable and then give it to the government. The government handles that money in some way and then invests it to build something that's supposed to be cheaper. There's so many inefficiencies in there and loss of bleeding out of that money that it would be better off just to not take in that tax and keep commodity more affordable in the first place. So some of these ideas like construction excise taxes, there's a proposal in the legislature to raise um, recording fees for documents at the clerk's offices around the state from $20 up to $75 and use that increased recording fee, which of course, you know, when you talk about recording fees, you're talking about like deeds and mortgages and things that get recorded at the recorder's office, which is built into the price of buying a home and financing a home. So they're going to raise that to, to, to pay for affordable housing. I just, again, it's taxing something you want to be affordable making it more costly and then trying to use government to construct more affordable housing i have real difficulty of whether that's really going to work out otherwise known as a robin hood tax yeah yeah and i don't even know if it's a robin hood tax because the one percent across the board and you're looking at uh something that's basically uh going to cost um everyone you know, that money, even the low end is going to be charged that 1% construction excise tax. So, and I've never known government to be really efficient in distributing capital. I mean, we, there's multiple examples of government doing poorly, trying to stimulate the economy or to make things, subsidizing things. We only have to look at things like, um, the stimulus plan from 2009 that the um, Obama administration put in place that was supposed to do all these great things, but there are multiple stories like Solyndra where hundreds of millions of dollars were put into companies only to have those companies declare bankruptcy because the government's not really good at picking out winners and losers. Wall Street's a whole lot better, although when they lose, it's not your tax dollars being lost. It's investments money being lost that that knew they were at risk whereas us as taxpayers don't really expect us to pay taxes to be put into risky investments like um, some of that stimulus money was put into and you know you look in in oregon here uh, we had something called the business energy tax credit which was better better known as betsy and that kind of was a program that went wild and never really got the return in um energy investments that we wanted, but it cost the state of Oregon hundreds of millions of dollars and had to be shut down uh, and was quite quite the scandal a few years back. So now the idea that we're going to engage in these taxing systems, construction excise taxes, recording fees systems and all that money into the government and build a bureaucracy to take that money in, build a bureaucracy then to put it back out to whoever's going to build these uh, affordable housing units and do that in a way where there's not a waste, a lot of waste and inefficiency um, and ultimately driving up the cost of construction with those taxes really, um, really is nonsensical. I can't understand how people think that that's the actual solution to the housing crisis. It's kind of like sweeping it under the rug in a way. Yeah, it is. And it it really makes you uh, wonder, you know, who in their right mind is proposing these things that took any economics at all in college or, you know, did they take any economics? They think that there is a benefit 
taking capital out of the private sector and the private marketplace, increasing the cost of what you want more of, and thinking that government can somehow or another redistribute that capital in an efficient manner that you're actually going to get a lower cost total out of the market in that way. I just, it, it's one of those things where you just kind of go, I don't get it. Well, it could also be, you know, like Nancy Pelosi in a sense, you know, talking about the, uh, the tax breaks and stuff, about how small amount it is. But, you know, when you are a billionaire or even a millionaire, sometimes you lose touch that 20 bucks. It goes a long ways for people that, you know, it's really important. Yeah. And so when you try to relate to, you know, the average everyday individual, and, and again, you're, you know, even if you're making over a hundred grand a year, sometimes you forget that, you know, $30,000 is not a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, I have to think back, you know, to my times as a student uh, struggling to make rent and, and eating a lot of bologna and top ramen and peanut butter, yeah. <laughs> craft macaroni and cheese, you know, with tuna, tuna in it. <laughs> yum, yum. Yeah. I, I ate a lot of weird food back in those days. And then, of course, I worked restaurants, so I would always try and pig out on leftover stuff at the end of the night um, at, at the restaurant. Uh, you know, I, I have to remember those days sometimes because it is it is easy to get out of touch with that. You know, once you kind of become a little bit more comfortable in your life, and, and I'm on in the years, and it's been a while since I've been in that kind of financial stress. It, yeah, you know, it, it was probably about 1994 or 95 since the last time I felt really stressed financially after I'd moved across country and couldn't sell my house back east and was paying rent here and mortgage back east for a, a year. Um, pretty Put a big hit on my finances for a while um, and feeling that stress. Uh, so it's been a while for me, probably, so I have to kind of remind myself of that. But, you know, you're, you, you've talked about how, how you're on the edge sometimes and these increases in bond measures and all that. You just got your first paycheck with the new tax rates from the from the uh, big tax bill that went through in December yeah. identified with our president. How did you make out? Oh, my God. Um, to my paycheck, it actually uh, and the net amount, it actually worked out about two hundred dollars more. Wow. And when you figure that I get paid twice a month. That's really a good chunk of change. Hey, you just made up for that $400 a month that levy cost you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but again, you know, some people just say, and including my, I just had my taxes done too, and it dropped a couple percentage, which again, you know, some people that aren't in my income level are going, <laughs> big deal. Well, it is a big deal because it uh, it helps, uh, like I say, offset some of the, the other costs. But my fear is, that's groceries, four hundred bucks a month. What's that? That that pays for groceries, four hundred bucks a month. Exactly, and but the, what my fear is is knowing the Oregon legislature, they're going to go, oh, you're making this, this much more money, we're going to have to increase. But uh, anyways, I want to throw out a quick promo out there. We got about seven minutes left in the program. You can give uh, Lane County Commissioner Jay Bolshevich a call right now. Talk to a live, very own live commissioner versus the dead ones. They aren't too commutative. 646-221-9887. If you missed the show, um, again, you can send us an email, talk at krbnradio.com, or follow us on Facebook and comment on Facebook, too. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, yes. Don't forget to... Uh follow us on Facebook, uh, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page. Uh, just click the like button at least there and maybe follow us because that's where we always post changes in show times like today's special time at 3.30. So I could get out of here at 4.30 to make the 5 o'clock Better Housing Together event at the University of Oregon tonight, which is why we're talking about housing so much today, although we have drifted into everything from immigration to uh the Trump tax bill here on the Bose Nose Show, which we tend to do. We kind of wander around topics, especially if you give us a call, because we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about here at the uh, Bose Nose Show, whether it's Lane County politics, city of Eugene politics, Oregon state politics, or national politics. We'll even get into international politics if you want, because uh, I, I like talking about all 646-221-9887. 
sense. Before we head out, and we've got a few minutes, we want to get in on the conversation. But before we head out today, I want to remind folks about something very simple they can do to make sure they're prepared um, in emergencies. There is a app you can get for your phone called My Alerts. Uh, if you go into an app store and, and search for My Alerts or Alert Sense, S E N S E, um, there is a really quick app where you can put your location in there and you'll get everything. You, know, you can set up what alerts you want to get. But I get all the uh, weather advisories. I've gotten, you know, when they had the tsunami warnings because uh, the earthquake up in Alaska the other morning, I got those alerts. When I was traveling in Hawaii, I got alerts for flash flood warning happening there uh, in Hawaii and high surf advisories. Fortunately, I was there the week after the, they had the uh, missile alert, so I didn't get that one. <laughs> but, uh, darn. <laughs> yeah, darn. Um, but it was, you know, it's great to have that system available to you. Uh, it's one thing I like to promote is emergency preparedness. And uh, as as we're having all this weather happening uh, here in Lane County, as they're predicting anywhere between one to three inches of snow tonight, could be ice. You never know because it only takes a degree either way in, in the Willamette Valley to really cause trouble. Um, that Alert sense is one way you'll know uh, ahead of time what the predictions are, any warnings that come about. And then there's another program you can, you can get. want to get information about school closings and stuff like that. Well, you have a you have one called Flash Alerts. Yep. And how do you get that? Is it is it is it an app you can get for your phone or? Uh, yes, there there is a I think it's called Flash Alert Messenger, but the best thing to do is just to. Google flash alerts for Oregon and uh, select your region. And this is where the news services and everybody else will get their information from. So when a school uh, decides to uh, close or have a, uh, have a delay, they'll post it there. And usually read between five and six o'clock in the morning. And then of course the, the news services here read that. And they also push it uh, flash alerts are on their websites as well. But that that's a good good source. Trip check is another good one uh, for road conditions and uh, traffic conditions. That's uh, from ODOT, and it's trip tripcheck.com. It and you also have the cameras there too. So uh, not only can you uh, you see the cameras looking at you, but you know, you can also look through the cameras, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's really interesting though about flash alerts and something that people don't understand also especially with the, the news, the national news about school shooting in Florida, they will use flash alerts during that kind of emergency to notify parents and, and the community about things that are happening at schools besides being closed for weather. So having that flash alert system uh, set up on your, on your phone or your computer will put you in the know about what's happening with your children's school in an emergency. So great thing to have along with the alert sense because everything you know if, the, if something comes out of our sheriff's office like we we had had that um, shooting incident up in the Santa Clara area where we wanted people to shelter in place because we weren't sure if there was somebody else that was armed in the neighborhood that would have come out through alert sense also um, you know in some of our, our our warning systems so great things to have alert sense uh, and all that um, just one more piece of information you get right here on the Bose Nose Show every week. And uh, we're running out of time here. I'm seeing about 30 seconds left in the show. So I am going to sign out on time today because I've got to get off to this uh, Better Housing Together event at the University of Oregon. Thank you for listening. We're going to be back next week at our regular time of 4 o'clock. And uh, on Wednesday, every week here on the Bose Nose Show, coming to you live from beautiful northwest i hope you have a great evening and a great rest of your week we call the post show and drive safe don't take any yeah. chances yeah, drive safe